chapter 8 is where we'll land this morning. There are basically two kinds of freedom in this universe. One is actually worth singing about and celebrating precisely because it won't end and it can't be taken away. The other kind of freedom is very good. And we thank God for the experience of it this day, especially. But it is doomed to failure. The second kind of freedom is won by brave and skilled soldiers and excellent military minds. It could even be sustained by those very same powers, at least for a while. It allows for things like free speech and free thought, thank God. Sometimes it's a very good thing in a fallen world like the freedom we have in America, or at least we're intended to have in America. Other times this kind of freedom can be a very bad thing since people can and will invoke it to do or think whatever they want without anyone questioning or preventing them, not even the law or society at large. But tragically, even if this second kind of freedom is paid for, with the blood of honorable soldiers, it can never be kept without more of it. And it will eventually be lost. For God has subjected this world and everything and everyone in it to futility. Even the hardest fought for and most honorable freedom will only pass away. All things, even the best things that are seen, are transient. There is no hope in America, no hope in our independence, no hope in the world whatsoever, none. So will I become your enemy this morning? By telling you the truth. The other kind of freedom is actual freedom. And it can only be secured by one man. There's not a military or a government, whether democratic or totalitarian, that can obtain or sustain it. It doesn't rest in the hearts of free-thinking individuals or in the ability to express oneself as one desires without any repercussions or responsibilities. Only one man knows what freedom actually is, and only one man has the power to give it to others. It not only grants personhood and identity, it rescues from slavery. It sets people free from the curse of sin and death, from the power of the law that stands over them, even over those who have no idea it stands over them or openly reject the fact that it stands over them. This is particularly important for us this morning because words have meaning. Our words reveal what we believe. And in our celebration of freedom this July 4th and always, let us be careful not to make too much of what really isn't freedom at all so that what is won't be compromised. This isn't just a matter of semantics. We take a big risk of muddying the waters of the gospel with our patriotism. 
And so, beloved, I want to take a few minutes to tell you something that some of you probably know or do know. Others may have heard some things, right? Maybe some of you have really no idea at all what I'm talking about. It's probably time for me to be clear about this issue and where I stand since the gossip has begun and the speculation has begun and those things. I do not like patriotism in the church. I will never get used to this. I know this is an issue that takes explanation because when I bring it up or even question the place of it, people get very, very upset. The fact that I don't support patriotism in the church or allegiance to a flag in the church or even the presence of flags in the church does not mean I hate our country. I do not and have never said so. Now, there's a progressive wing in American evangelicalism now that is intent on criticizing America and destroying America and hates patriotism because they hate America, absolutely, I'm not a part of that. That's not what I believe. My concern with patriotism doesn't come from some grudge I have against America or because it has sins in its past. Of course, America has sins in its past. Everything and everyone has sins in its past. Nor do I want to make light of those things. My issue with patriotism in the church comes from being a pastor, at least as far as I'm able to understand my own thoughts, right? I think, and I don't think it's semantics, that patriotism is dangerous because it isn't Jesus. I think patriotism is dangerous because loving the world, even the good things about it, like America, has softened the church to the centrality of Christ for us in the gospel. It has clouded the reality of where our true citizenship lies. Beloved, Jesus didn't die for semantic allegiance. And I know people, at least when I first say these things, right, don't agree or are very dismissive of it. And that's all right. I know it's something that we don't think about too often, right, but... I want to explain these things. I want you to know why, for example, my family and I don't attend our patriotic service each year and why I can't and won't support these kinds of things. But as I say this this morning, all I would ask you to consider is that I'm not just some guy with views that aren't traditional on this matter. I'm your pastor. I believe God called me here. A hundred percent of those voting four years ago believe God called me here. I hope this doesn't make you change your mind. But I will take the risk. I'm not asking you 
to give me a hearing this morning as Tony. I'm asking you as your pastor to at least consider why the man God brought here may see certain things the way that he does. Because I'm not trying to win an argument here. And this isn't about me not liking certain traditions that we have. I have a job to do for your sake, for which I will give an account to our Lord Jesus. Paul told Timothy that if he persisted in the truth, he would save both himself and his hearers. So, beloved, make no mistake, I will gladly die on this hill. I think this place, the church, the moments and minutes we are given here should be for the proclamation of Jesus and literally nothing else ever, not even our great country. And that's not, when I say great, I'm not trying to play both sides of the aisle. Because I know it can sound like that, right? Maybe you've heard me say things before and then I'll stop and say, but I want you to know I love America, right? Well, am I a senator trying to play both sides of the aisle? No. America is great. There is no question. But when you hold up America to Jesus, there's simply no comparison. And there shouldn't even be the implication, especially not in his church, that these two things, Jesus and America, automatically or would ever go together. They do not. No one can serve two masters. And no one's heart can be given fully to multiple loves. As good as America has been, beloved, it is a kingdom of the world. It's passing away. It always has been. It always will be. And the founding fathers that led the revolution will have some explaining to do as to how they justified going against Scripture's clear command to submit to all governing authorities because they were instituted by God over taxation without representation. The Christians suffering literal martyrdom in Rome were not commanded or encouraged to revolt and never did. And I know the horizon is bleak in America. So maybe this is more hurtful to hear than it normally might have been. And it feels like the America many of us wish we had, me included, for the sake of my kids, is going away. And beloved, it is. It is. But again, it was always going to. The question was in whose lifetime. What I would ask you to consider is that it shouldn't be too much to ask for Christians to give the two to four hours a week they're in church, depending on how many gatherings we personally attend, to give that time exclusively to Jesus and nothing else. Nothing else. I'd love it if we could pack in the crowd we'll have tonight, every Sunday night, when we preach Christ and Him crucified. America is of the world And I believe we should save celebrating what is of the world for the world. 
And yet this is always an uphill battle. It's gotten me into more trouble as a pastor than any other topic. About three, what, no, seven years ago now, 2014, I was preaching through First Peter in at Gateway Church in Brawley in Southern California and was preaching the passage where Jesus talks about through Peter, by way of the Holy Spirit, honoring the emperor, which would have been an insane thing to hear if you were a Christian in Rome. Honor the emperor, submit to his authority. And I was trying to make the point from there in, in, in Philippians that there's one conflict the Christian has been called to engage in. And it's not that the other conflicts don't matter. It's that Christians, when Paul tells Timothy, look, soldiers don't get entangled in civilian affairs. That what, that's what makes for a good soldier. It's not that the civilian affairs are unimportant. It's that they're not the conflict for the sake of the gospel. Jesus puts everything in a perspective of submission and second place to him, right? And I'm preaching this, and there, a lady in the congregation yells out, I will always fight for freedom. First of all, no, you won't. You'll send everybody else's sons to fight for freedom. Second of all, I asked her, what kind, Ruth, and how long will it last? And her and her husband popped up, walked out, never came back. That was the beginning of the end for me in Brawley. Why is this so difficult a topic to discuss? Except for the sound of footsteps, why could we hear a pin drop? It's not the gospel. It's not Jesus. It's not commanded. It's not endorsed. It's not required. It's not recommended in Scripture. So why? Why is patriotism such a hard thing to try to question in the church? Why does it cause so much strife? Since the Bible doesn't command it, right? The burden of proof that it should be a part of the church would be on the patriot, not on the pastor. I'm not disobeying scripture by not wanting to have it in the church. The patriot is adding to scripture to have it in the church. I don't think we'd let anything else do that. Not on purpose. That does not mean... Being thankful for where you live is a sin. It's not a sin. It doesn't mean being thankful for those who have protected it with their lives is a sin. It is not a sin. And it is an obligation of a person that loves Christ to be thankful to those that have given their lives for them without even knowing their names. Those things are not sins. It's not what I'm saying. I'm talking about the church. Of Jesus Christ. Trying to mix those things with our identity in Christ as what's Christian in the church. That's an issue. That's an issue. Now I know, I know that patriotism is dear to the majority of our community. I don't say these things lightly, but it's not dear to the whole community. There's, there's, a few pockets of people that don't 
want to celebrate America, aren't patriotic, don't love America. There are people we could turn away because they don't want to hear those kinds of things when they come in to church. Now, we could dismiss them and say we don't care what they think here because here we love America. And if you don't like it, don't come here. I've never heard anybody say that. I'm saying we could think like that. And we could say, well, that's who we are, though. That's something that's very important to us, and, and that's fine. But usually, when we want to justify something that is dear to us in the church, but we don't have any scripture to justify it with, we'll say things like, uh, well, if just one soul gets saved, though, it was all worth it. And I would agree with that. But if that's true, the opposite is true. And if even one person would be turned away by it, then none of it is worth it. God has not given us the authority to take such risks in his church. And I would argue it's not even worth taking the chance of turning someone away with something that isn't what we have been called to proclaim, to know nothing other than Christ and Him crucified. And we might think, well, that wouldn't ever happen. Beloved, sure it could. Sure it could. And souls are too important. So it doesn't matter how we feel, right? We aren't on mission to ensure the continuation of America. We want that. We pray for that. We ask God for that. But that's not why we're here. We don't need that for us to continue. I pray America does hold out. But you and I are here for Christ, whether it does or not. And if we add anything to Jesus, good or bad, anything, it isn't Jesus anymore. All the decisions in a church rest on what God commanded. Not what we prefer. And so, beloved, we may need to ask God to open our hearts and do some work this morning. Why do we cling so tightly to traditions of patriotism in the church? Why? Why is it so important? What does it do for us? Why do we take questioning it or critiquing it so personally? I know there are reasons. I know what some of those reasons are. But, beloved, the inability to see past what we take personally to whether or not the truth is being spoken might be revealing to us that we have an idol in our hearts. God, help us if that's the case. And maybe America isn't the idol, but the tradition of celebrating it is possibly, right? I just don't know that we take our new identity in Christ and the fact that America isn't our home seriously enough to the detriment of our hope and our faith. And as a pastor, that burdens me. I understand that it often looks like a pastor is just trying to get his way in a church. And so he likes this and he doesn't like that. And so he wants to do away with the things he doesn't like and advance his own agenda and all that. I, I understand that. I'm a sinner. 
and I am selfish, and there will be times I let you down if I haven't already. I promise you. I promise you. But the responsibility Scripture gives me for you is paramount to me. It is second only to that of my wife and my children. There's too much at stake in where a Christian places his or her hope. All of it, I mean. All of it. The gift of freedom, that doesn't belong to the state. It belongs to Jesus. America is wonderful. We will be at fireworks tonight if we can find them. We will be celebrating tomorrow. That's not what I'm saying. That you can't do those things. What I'm saying is that, beloved, this isn't freedom. Because it doesn't address what we're actually enslaved to. Our true slavery is not to the man. It's not to the government. It's not to the inability to vote or to think how we want to. That's not where we're enslaved. We are slaves of sin and death. We are slaves to the law we cannot keep and to the death that results from it. We need to be forgiven of our sins and reconciled to God in order to be free indeed. And the freedom Jesus gives in salvation is the only true freedom there is. And to say that you cannot give that a, well, of course it does. We know that. that That's too big of a thing to like say, yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, we get it. We're saved by grace through faith. That's where true freedom is. We understand that. Beloved, how can we be less excited about this freedom than that freedom? We wouldn't take the risk of muddying the water of the gospel in our church with any other words on purpose, would we? So let's not do it with freedom. Let's not let what freedom really is and who it is that actually gives it ever be unclear or seen as dependent on something else in the church that bears his name. Only if Jesus sets us free. Are we free indeed? John eight thirty one. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are offspring of Abraham, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. You you see what they do there? 
The truth comes to them. Jesus exposes their slavery, their idolatry. And what do they do? Uh, yeah, well, your mom was a prostitute. You were born to sexual morality. We, not us, right? When idols are exposed, people get personal. That's what they do. We were not born of sexual immorality like you were, right? We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, Jesus said to them. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? Jesus says, if I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now, you know, we usually walk week to week through books of the Bible, chapter and verse this morning. I believe it's necessary to to say these words. My desire is still to preach the word. I'm just stepping out of where we were. Look back at verse 32 for a moment. He says, and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Now skip down to 36. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. Do you hear it? The truth is. Is Jesus, and Jesus sets people free indeed. Why? Now, why does he do this? Why would Jesus add the word indeed? Isn't freedom pretty straightforward? It's almost like Jesus is saying, no, 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 there, there's freedom. There's being free, and then there's freedom. He's telling this Jewish crowd that, by the way, it is about to turn on him in just a few verses as we saw Precisely because he's telling them the truth. That's what they did. That's what we do. We get rid of people that tell us the truth. He tells them, no, no, no. You only think you're free. You only think you're free. Why do they think they're free? Because in verse 33, they said they're children of Abraham. They're God's special people. And they've never been enslaved to anyone. And Jesus is saying, you think freedom is not being enslaved to anyone. That's what you think freedom is. I'm telling you that freedom is a matter of who you're enslaved to. Those who abide in my word will know the truth and the truth will set them free. As though what people are enslaved to is lies, not Rome or the state or whatever we want to call it. Lies are slavery. The truth is Jesus. So when Jesus sets you free, you are free indeed. What lies are we enslaved to this morning as individuals? Or all believing lies somewhere. What lies have we believed are for our good that are actually Satan's own deceiving designs he's using against us to steal our hope and to steal our faith and to muddy the water of our Christ? What lies about where safety comes from or hope comes from or stability comes from? What, what lies are we believing 
about the source of those things, what lies about our own ability to keep God's law and save ourselves and hold on to our salvation because of our pedigree, our ethnicity, our heritage, whatever it is. Beloved, we are enslaved to lies regardless of where our earthly citizenship lies. Every human being is a slave. How does Jesus set people free? He doesn't make them masterless. He puts them under his word so that they abide there. So that he is their master. So true freedom is something that only comes from knowing the truth. If the truth gets muddied, we are not free. Freedom is only ours if we know Jesus. And it comes, if, if freedom is something that comes from outside of us, and it has to do with what truth is, it isn't something that can ever be gained or be taken away from us by our government or by our circumstances. True freedom has nothing to do with our rights or what we're able to do or not to do. Don't let any lies infect the truth ever. Our souls are too fragile for this. What he goes on to tell them in essence is that they aren't children of Abraham. They're actually children of the devil himself. You notice there from verse 31, they aren't in him. That's what he He knows they believe him, but they're not abiding in him. So they're following him right now. They like what he's saying, but he's not their master. Why are they children of the devil? What makes them Satan's children? How does Jesus know that? That's a huge indictment to make. By the way, I'm not making that indictment of any of you this morning. That's not the point of my message, for goodness sakes. I'm saying, why does he tell them they're children of the devil himself? Because they're enslaved to their own desires. And they lie to themselves as a result of this. They have put a premium on their freedom to do what they want and choose. Like that's, we're, what are you talking about? We're not enslaved. We've never enslaved anybody. We're free. Because, because of that, right? They think they're free. And in that state, if our thinking is like that, we aren't children of Abraham because Abraham was a man of faith. In an object outside of this world and its circumstances, right? Abraham is called believing Abraham. Those are the works that Abraham did. He was a man of faith, as Paul will take up in Romans. And those who are of faith have surrendered their hopes and desires to Jesus. Faith is not the one spiritual work that human beings can do. Faith is the gift of God by which we agree with Jesus that we need to have our sins forgiven and the righteousness God requires granted to us as a gift or we will never be saved from his wrath and justice and we will never be free ever. Faith is receiving his gift. We become free, beloved, as human beings only by being subjected to the Savior whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light. It's not that there's no yoke. It's not that there's no burden in following Jesus. It's that the yoke is easy and the burden is light. No other master, no other master can promise us this but Christ. 
There's no avoiding yokes for human beings. Somebody will be our master. And Jesus is saying, listen, do you want to be free indeed? Take your eyes off the world and have no other master but me. Why, Jesus? Well, because I'm the only master that will forgive you when you fail and love you regardless. I'm the only master who will not kill you and make you pay for not living up to my promises and expectations. America is great. America, however, is a harsh master. She gives with one hand. She takes away with the other sometimes. I'm free. You know what I found? I found a pond I like. I'm going to go fishing. No, you're going to need a piece of paper from us to go fishing in a pond that you found. I'm free. I'm going to, I'm going to put a fence around my backyard. Whoa there, Bob Vila. You aren't doing anything without a permit from us. Okay. I'm free. I'm going to go buy the car I like. Take it easy, Richard Petty. You, you're going to pay us to drive your car. And every year, we're going to make you pay us again to drive your car. Right? We're, we're going to tax the snot out of you. You're not going to actually know how much you pay, but we know. We could tell you, but we're not going to. We're going to have you fill out the forms, and if you mess up, we're going to fine you and get more money from you. So yes, listen, that's characterizing. We are free, yes, but we aren't free, right? I mean, th- th- there's law, right? And that, that nobody's denying that. I'm simply saying, let, my point here this morning is, is, is the semantics. That's the point I'm trying to make, okay? I'm free, I'm going to work and earn my own money. Yeah, after you give us a cut, yeah. Well, Tony, come on, man. You have to have some rules and regulations. Agreed. Agreed. So would we say then that our freedom here is true freedom or a certain degree of freedom while we still give up other freedoms so that we can have a stable society, a better society? And it is infinitely better than demonic, godless programs like socialism or communism. It's infinitely better than that, even though it's far from perfect, right? We're free, but we aren't free indeed. And what I'm asking is, are we a little too hyped about what isn't really freedom? All the world has the authority to do is grant us a certain amount of practical freedom, usually only enough that you don't want to kill them for it until they have enough power to kill you if you don't like them, right? But the fact that this has to be granted to us lets us know right off the bat that we aren't free indeed. This is something else. So that means it can get better. There's something better out there that the world simply isn't able to give even when its intentions are good and its plans are good. It still can't deliver us. And we don't want to muddy the water. Nobody can just go do whatever they want, thank God. And if they could, the world would be a disaster because sinners need regulated. 
Sinners need boundaries if you don't change their nature. But if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. You, you, you aren't children of the devil, but you understand we could make the same argument if Jesus says, I'll make you free indeed. You understand we could talk like this. I am free. Jesus, I, I live in America. Do you understand, right? So he would say, no, no, no. You, you, I'm the truth. I'm the truth. Jesus says. If the Son sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Oh, so with Jesus, then I can do whatever I want. No, 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 beloved, that's not freedom. That's not freedom. That's slavery to your desires. That's where you, we all are before we know Jesus, and most of us still struggle with it since we know Jesus, right? It's that harsh of a master. It's going to fight against the Spirit inside of us to get control back. Again, what we celebrate on Independence Day is wonderful. Thank God for it. It's a gift of His mercy and His kindness. It just isn't freedom. It's a band-aid for us, thank God, in the midst of a cursed and fallen world. Jesus is saying that if they want to be free, they're going to need to stop serving themselves and their own desires and start serving Him. And what Jesus is implying here, as the rest of the New Testament will bear out, is that people aren't really free until they're using their freedom for the sake of others, even to the point that they're willing to give it away for the sake of others. And while we're enslaved to our sins, we don't serve others for any purpose but our own, and we have limits, right? Jesus was free, really, truly free. What did he do with that freedom? Served, loved, healed, died. Gave up his life because he was free. Nobody takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. That was his loss of freedom because he really had it for our freedom because we really don't. Well, then didn't work out too well for Jesus. Then God raised him from the dead. That's how he was able to live and die like he did. His hope was fixed only, only on the resurrection. Only. Nothing else. Nothing else. And anything else will muddy the water. Right? I love burritos. I love crispy pancakes. You put ketchup on a crispy pancake, you've ruined it. You put ketchup on fries, it's great. I trust that that metaphor makes total sense to everybody in the room. I want to be free. I want to live. Then we have to die. And why die for something if it isn't going to make you free? To pursue our own desires, believing that that's how we're free. I know I'm free because I'm able to do what I want. We're just letting Satan be our master. That's all we're doing. In him, no one is free. When Satan is the master, Satan is the master. Satan is the government, the authority. He'll tell you what you can and can't do now. He'll encourage you to follow your desires, not so you'll be free, 
but so you'll be his slave. He fools you by making you think this is, this is good for you, that you're able to do what you want. What if the ability to do what you want gets you killed? Right? There's a reason we put boundaries on little kids. They don't know I shouldn't run out into the street. Right? So they're free individuals, but we can't let them be truly free. They'll kill themselves. What happens when Jesus is your master and you die? You get it all. You finally are alive. This is not real. We want to be free from authority. We want to be free from consequences. We want to be free from responsibility. We want to be free from God. That's what Satan is trying to get us to do. He's been doing it since the garden by lying. We think that freedom means not being ruled, but God made everything. This is his universe. We are created beings. He is the creator. We think freedom is no chains. But that's like believing you could stand in the rain and not get wet. You say, well, I can stand in a raincoat. The raincoat will get wet. It just isn't true. It's not that we're necessarily godless when we remain enslaved to our own desires. It's that we really do think we're divine. We really do think we're great. Like that human autonomy is the greatest thing in the universe. Right? That Mumford and Sons has a song, a great band. And, but there's a line in one of their songs that uh, you have your choices. These are what make men great. His ladder to the stars. They're quoting uh, somebody, a poet there. That's what makes men great. I don't know. Jesus surrendered all of that. We really do think we're great, though. So when we learn that actually we're accountable to God, that what makes us accountable to God is that we failed to obey his law. Rather than surrendering ourselves to him, then in crying out for a savior, because we know we can't measure up, we say one of two things. We say something like, well, I... I can do that, God. I can be a good person. No thank you, Jesus. I don't don't need forgiven of my sins. I don't need you dying on a cross for me. You're so dramatic. Tell me what to do and I'll do it. Or we take it the other way. We curse him and say, I'll be my own master. I'll do what I want. You don't rule over me. That's what sin and its highest forms of rebellion that we see out there in the world are. It's, It's a bunch of children screaming at their creator. And he's got their hand on their forehead and they're swinging with all their might, but they can't reach him. They hate him. Right. And truth be told, everybody hates God. We would only love we would we only love God today because he gave us the gift of faith and he will give it to them also as we are preaching the gospel, because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Don't get in the way of the word of Christ. It's how he saves Satan roars with laughter when we want to do what we want to do. And no matter who tries to get in our way, because all we've done is hand him the key to our very souls. We become his children. We let him adopt us. When Paul referred to the freedom only Jesus can give in Galatians 5.1, a freedom from the law as our master, because not that the law is bad, the law is not bad, it's divine, But because our flesh is so rotten, the law gives it fuel through which it will only serve Satan in our disobedience of it. 
Paul says it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Right again, there's a difference between freedom and freedom. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of bondage, slavery. And do you know what Paul has lumped under that term, slavery, by the time he gets to Galatians 5.1? He even took the law and put it under this rubric called the elementary principles of the world. To the degree that we stay under what the world says will give us hope, we are slaves. Slaves, beloved, and you're free in Christ. Don't go back to the law. In light of Jesus and Paul, don't go back to the elementary principles of the world for your freedom. Don't go back to them. Patriotism, at the end of the day, is a worldly principle. It's not a biblical one. That doesn't mean it's always evil, but it isn't biblical. It belongs to the world. It's a value you would only have in the world. And Paul would say, any principle of the world is going to get in the way of your freedom. We, we, un, we unwittingly bind ourselves to two masters. And beloved, we don't have to do that. We're free. You're free. You are going to be okay. It doesn't matter how things are going. And of course we pray and we vote and we work so that it doesn't go a certain way. But we place no hope in it whatsoever. So when we gather together as the church, let's celebrate for that little amount of time we have just Jesus. So that if by chance somebody walked in the door that they hadn't heard this before, what they got when they came here was pure Jesus mixed with nothing so that it sounds like semantics, right? Don't go back to letting your flesh tell you that you can make it. Don't do that. Don't go back to letting your flesh tell you that in order for you to be free, you need to be able to do whatever you want. So you worry about your own salvation. You take care of it. You can't put it in anybody else's hands. Don't surrender yourself to anybody else. That's the devil talking, literally. There's no harsher slave master than the father of lies who's been a murderer from the beginning. And he's behind everything that isn't Christ. Those are the options in this world. The world, the flesh, the devil, Christ. All, all the devil has to do, this should tell us something to hook us, is promise us freedom when he himself is just another slave. Satan is on God's leash this morning. He doesn't know anything about freedom. And he's on that leash because he followed his own desires. Let the one no one owns tell us what freedom is. Let the one who overcame the world by dying for it. That's how pure he is. That's how loving he is. That's how powerful he is. His death, his surrender of his life set the world free. Let him set you free. Let him set you free. Let Jesus be the only one that tells you what freedom is. Jesus holds all the patents and copyrights and trademarks on freedom. So sing about him. Praise him. Worship him. Prioritize him all the time, in every place, from every mouth. Thank him for salvation. Let everything that has breath do one thing with it. Praise the Lord. 
freedom is having all our sins forgiven so that we may be taken captive by Christ. Freedom is knowing that my guilt has been washed away and the righteousness I need has been credited to me as an irrevocable gift by the Lord of heaven and earth himself. Freedom is knowing that I don't have to save the world or earn my own salvation, but because of what Jesus did for me and gave to me, I can serve and love my neighbors with everything I have, even my enemies, because I no longer need anything from anybody. Freedom is knowing that even though I can't meet the righteous demand of the law in my flesh, I will never be responsible for my own salvation. Freedom is knowing that my master will never leave, never forsake, never forget, never kick me out, even when I sin, even when I fail. Freedom is knowing that if tomorrow they took away every right the Constitution duly grants to me, I will be even more free than I was when I had them. Since now, truly, all I have is Jesus. And in him, I have everything. Freedom is knowing the worst this world can do to me will only take me to my Jesus sooner. Because if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. We've been lied to. Sometimes by the devil, but most of the time by ourselves. We think we're enslaved to the government, to the man, to the rich and powerful, to our parents, our teachers, our bosses, maybe our spouses. Beloved, we're enslaved to ourselves and to Satan because we're sinners. That is a prison. Even being free in this world can never get me out of. Receive the gift of Jesus and be free indeed this morning. Free indeed is better than free. And only Jesus can give it.